The text for this morning's service is taken from Matthew 28, the verses 2 through the first part of verse 6. We will read that once again. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 50, the stanzas 2, 3, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. In this day and age, we hear occasionally about earthquakes all over the world. Around the globe, it's a fairly frequent occurrence. In the past year, there have been a few very big ones. Those got our attention. But generally speaking, we do not think too much of it. We see earthquakes as a normal part of everyday life. We see them as natural occurrences. In our text, mention is made of an earthquake, a great earthquake. But this is clearly not portrayed as some natural, natural phenomenon which just happened to take place at that particular time. No, clearly this earthquake, as is the case with all earthquakes, is something which the Lord God himself has caused to happen. In this case, it happens at a very important time in the history of redemption. It happens at the same time as an angel from the Lord descends from heaven. You may remember that on Good Friday, an earthquake also occurred. We are told in Matthew 27, verse 51, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. And that happened at the very moment that Christ breathed his last breath. But now something similar happens. The earth shook once again and the rocks split open. It is as, it is as if God wants to proclaim to us what has started on Friday evening finds its continuation on Sunday morning. Then the earth shook because the Son of Man gave up his spirit. And now the earth shakes because God gives him his spirit. He gives him his breath back. For now he is raised from the dead. He lives. The earthquake this time also announces the coming of the angel who has an important function to play at this particular moment as well. For he is about to announce the victory of Christ over death. Both those events, the earthquake and the angel, tip us off to a very important event in the history of God's dealing with his people. So let us listen to the preaching of God's word as I've summarized it under the following theme. The angel of the Lord proclaims the victory of Easter. He proclaims three things. First of all, our justification. Secondly, our sanctification. And thirdly, our glorification. 
It is noteworthy that every time something significant is about to happen in the history of redemption, that there are always angels involved. We see that especially concerning the events relating to the Lord Jesus. At the time of the birth of Christ, there was a multitude of angels. And then at Easter, the angels appear again. But this time, their number is not as great as before. And yet, as is clear from the text, they are there. Later, at the ascension of the Lord Jesus, angels are also in attendance. The strange thing, however, is that at the time of Pentecost, no angel appears. And so we see a diminishing presence of the angels. First, there is the multitude at the birth of Christ. And then, as the other important events unfold, we see fewer and fewer angels until at the time of Pentecost, there are none to be seen. Why would that be? Well, that first of all has to do with the function of the angels. We read in Hebrews 1 verse 14 that they are all ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. The Greek says that they are liturgical angels. In other words, spirits who perform acts of liturgy. Liturgy has to do with the way we minister or serve. And such service directly concerns the Lord our God. Angels are, first of all, servants of God. And they serve God in very special ways. They are liturgical saint angels. And they do as the Lord their God and their commander-in-chief tells them. But in the service of the Lord God, they also serve men. They serve you and me. For Men have a higher position than angels. Angels are servants of God and also servants of men. But man was made in the image of God. He was made a vice regent. God gave to man in paradise the rule over the earth, over every creature, including the angels and over every living thing. At the time of the fall, man, of course, lost that image. And therefore, man, during this sinful stage, is at the present time lower than the angels. But after this life, we will rule with Christ, and on the last day, we will even judge the angels, that is, the fallen angels. That is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. Well, as the angel of the Lord descends from heaven, we know that he does that as an act of service, to serve God, to serve us. The Lord God has sent the angel to earth with a specific purpose in mind. In actual fact, we know from the other gospel accounts that there were actually two angels who came down from heaven. Matthew, for his own purposes, mentions only one angel. He does not deem it necessary to mention the two angels. What then was that act of service that this angel and the other angel had to perform? Well, as I said, the angel is in the service of God and of man. And so now the angel has come from heaven to teach the disciples something very important. 
For up to now, the disciples had understood very little of what had happened. And in order for us to be able to understand it all, the disciples had to understand it first. For they have to pass it on. They had to write the gospel accounts so that we could read about this and so that we too can believe. When Christ gave up his spirit on Golgotha, the disciples thought that that was the end of things. To them, Christ's death meant that his mission on earth had ended in failure. For three years they had been with him. They had seen all his miracles. They had witnessed how God had been with Christ throughout this time. They had hung on to his every word. And they had been with him only a little while ago on Palm Sunday when the people paraded him through the streets. But now he is dead. They saw it all unfold. For they were also there with him during their subsequent fall from favor. Once the people realized that Christ was not the man to lead the revolt against the Roman oppressors, they wanted nothing to do with him anymore. Even though the Lord Jesus had said many times and in many ways that he would have to die, and also that in three days he would rise again from the dead, they had not understood. It hadn't clicked with those disciples. The disciples were at this time confused. They were disappointed. They didn't know what was going on. They were unsure about the future. But now, after his death, comes the moment of truth. And that is why the angel appears. He was sent to minister. Not to minister to Christ, but to minister to the disciples. So that they could understand, so that they in turn could proclaim what had taken place on that first Easter Monday. So that the believer would know about the victory of Christ, about the victory over death, about the victory over Satan and everything that Satan stands for. His victory over everything that is evil and corrupt. For the victory of Christ over death meant that the Lord Jesus had been declared righteous. Or to be said in another way that he had been justified. In other words that he had fulfilled the law in every respect. Both passively and actively. The passive act of his obedience was that he allowed himself to be nailed on the cross. And the active part of his obedience was that he kept every single law perfectly. And so he had been declared justified. And that justification had been declared the moment Christ uttered the words, It is finished. At that time he acknowledged that to his heavenly father that his suffering had come to an end. And that he had been obedient to the law in every respect. As soon as he gave up his spirit, his heavenly father welcomes him in heaven from where he had come. For note well that in the text the angel tells the women that Christ had risen. That was indeed before the actual day of ascension. He had risen not only from the dead, but he had risen right into heaven. He had experienced the depth of hell just before his death when he was forsaken by his father in heaven. But at the very time of his death, 
He already rose into heaven. And so, in reality, this first ascension heralds the public ascension when he does so bodily for all men to see. For Christ had to return to earth once more in the flesh in order to proclaim the victory over death to his disciples, to proclaim to them that his task is completed, he is done. And that it is true that he rose from the dead. And that is why the angel was there at the tomb, at the empty tomb of Christ. The angel of the Lord was there to proclaim that message. And the disciples had to understand the real reason for his suffering and death. They had to understand what that meant for them and what that meant for every believer, what that meant for you and for me. The Lord had chosen them to record the words of the Lord and to pass them on. And that is why, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you and I, we too may believe. We may believe that Christ died. Yes, that he died for us. But more than that, that he also rose from the dead. Because in this way, you and I, we may live. We may have life in abundance. For the fact that Christ was declared righteous meant that we too would share in his righteousness. In other words, in the fact that our sins are forgiven. We are made righteous through faith. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in order to underscore that faith, the angel was sent to earth. He rolls back the stone so that everyone could see the empty tomb, so that they would believe, believe that Christ is risen from the dead, that he is the victor of the enemy of death, not just for himself, but for all those who believe in him. And therefore, when we look back on that grave of Joseph of Arimathea, then we are reminded of the fact that complete reconciliation with the Father has been accomplished by Christ. We may believe that everything is well again between God and believing man. Christ has restored us so that man is now reconciled to God. Isn't that wonderful? We do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid of death even. We as Christian believers are privileged indeed to know that through the Lord Jesus Christ we may have eternal life. Isn't that something to be joyful about? Doesn't this make that a joyful day today? And so let me ask you brothers and sisters, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Well, you must believe. It is important. It is a matter of life and death. For if you believe, then you have a right relationship with the Lord your God. By the instrument of faith, you will be justified. In other words, then God will no longer hold your sins against you. He will treat you as if you had never committed any sin. And it is through faith alone. The women who came to that grave, to that empty grave early on Easter morning, they believed. That's clear from the text. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, 
for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. They are looking for him, for they want to know the truth about him. Later on, they can put all the pieces together, and then they will remember, just like the disciples remembered, all the things which he had said to them while he was still on earth. Most people do not know the truth about Easter. And that is because they do not believe. And therefore, for them, Easter is not a blessing but a curse. Oh sure, the resurrection of the unbeliever is also assured. All of us will rise from the grave. But their resurrection will be their curse. For the unbeliever is not reconciled to God, nor will he ever be. He will be forsaken. The guards, in spite of the fact that he had witnessed these many miraculous things, such as the earthquake and the angels descending from heaven, they did not believe either. Later, they even allowed themselves to be bribed into telling, about, uh, telling lies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell others that it didn't really happen. It is no wonder that they were so frightened at the time of the descent of the angel and that they became like dead men because that's what they were. They were dead, spiritually dead. They couldn't deal with the world of spirituality. And that is the way it is for all unbelievers, as was the case with the Sanhedrin and the majority of the people of Israel. They are spiritually dead. And that is why the unbeliever is also afraid of the world of the spirits. But how different that is for you and for me, brothers and sisters. For we do not have to be afraid of anything. We are made righteous before God because of the righteousness of Christ. Nothing in the world needs to make us afraid. No matter what may happen in our lives. For God is our Emmanuel. God is with us. He is with us even when we stare death in the face. For once we are alive in Christ, we will always remain alive in him. And that brings us to our second point, the proclamation of our sanctification. You know what sanctification means, don't you? It has to do with purity. It has to do with holiness. It has to do with the fact that God sets you apart. The text tells us that the angel rolled back the stone and that he sat upon it. And there are some who think that the angel rolled away the stone in order to assist the Lord Jesus to help him emerge from the tomb. But it is clear from this text and the other, and the other gospel accounts that the tomb at that point, that, that tomb that, that at that point was already empty when the angels came there. Christ had given up his spirit to the Father, and then he had risen, body and soul, to the, and then he had risen to the Father, and his body had also risen. He did not need an angel to roll back the, stole, the stone for him. He proved that later, too, when he came back to earth. He walked through walls. No, the angel rolled back the stone so that the women, and later Peter and John themselves, could see with their own eyes that a tomb was empty. How the resurrection happened exactly, we do not know. There were no eyewitnesses to that wonderful event. The Lord does not deem it necessary for us to know more. But we know that it happened. We know that because we believe for the Holy Spirit has mercifully drawn us to Christ. 
He wants us to know what really happened on that Easter Sunday. And for that reason, that angel also sits on the rock. For the angel, as we said in the beginning, is a creature that serves. His commander-in-chief, God himself, told him to sit on that rock, which is rolled away, and to wait. To wait for what? To wait until the women and the disciples come, so that he can lead them to the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And in this way, believers may be separated from the unbelievers. And in this way, the believers are also sanctified, set apart from the world in the service of God. The angels were there in great number during the birth of Christ. Now there are only two angels. And as I said, at Pentecost there will be none. Why? Because here at the resurrection, man begins to see the great significance of the resurrection of Christ. Later on at Pentecost, man will have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Then he is fully equipped to serve God in the true knowledge of the significance of the sanctifying work of Christ. But we, each and every one of us, will see the angels again, brothers and sisters. A multitude of angels will come on the last day. And that, too, will be a great day in the history of redemption. As we will see in a moment, and the gathering of the saints will be complete. Whoever belongs to Christ may also proclaim that victory with him over the grave. For we are renewed in his image. In other words, brothers and sisters, we are born again. And that is not our doing. That is God's doing in the first place. For listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us a new birth. We are born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we have to respond to that by showing in our life that we are born again Christians, that we have been given a new life. Now we may proclaim the victory of Easter to all those with whom we come into contact. Do you also dare to do that, brothers and sisters? Also you boys and girls and you teenagers. Do you dare to speak about your faith, about the joy that lives within you because of Easter? Do you speak about the joy of the victory of Christ at Easter, his victory over death? That's wonderful news, isn't it? For remember that the Lord God has set you apart. You too are a ministering servant. For the Lord wants to use you to bring this present world to an end. And in order for that to happen, the number of the elect must be complete. And every time an unbeliever comes to faith, we are coming closer to the last day. Every conversion is a proof of the fact of Easter. Then another one is added to, the, to praise the Lord our God for his great love for his creation for all those who believe in him. And in this way we may also look forward to our glorification. And that brings us to our third and final point. The earthquake at the time of the appearance of the angel is as much a proclamation of the end to come 
as the angel itself. For the earthquake foretells of the time shortly before the end of this world, the world as we now know it. It prophesies of the fact that we, along with the whole creation, will be glorified. For this whole earth is going to be destroyed, and then it is going to be renewed in a moment, in a flash. The earthquake reminds us of the fact that we may not separate Easter from the last day. No, on the contrary, the earthquake proclaims it. For in the earthquake we see the almighty power of God. With that same power, he will make everything new. Are we listening to that proclamation? Do you know when the end of the time is coming? Do you see with your eyes of faith that Christ has been crowned with glory and honor? And that right now he is seated at the right hand of God? Well, brothers and sisters, if that's what you believe in, is we all that see that with your eyes of faith, then you may also share in that glory. And then you also, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be sanctified, you may be set apart for his service. And then you will also be able to look beyond your own sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. For each and every one of us has been restored in the image of God. If only you believe. And then we can also look beyond the frailty of our own bodies. Our own bodies fall apart. The older you get, the more you realize that. But then we may know that also our bodies will be glorified, renewed, never to know decay again, never to know cancer again, never to know diabetes again, never to know anything about the deterioration of your body. It will be a glorified body. That, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is what Easter is all about. It proclaims our justification. It proclaims our sanctification. It proclaims our glorification. It reminds us of the fact that the last day is coming nearer and nearer. Are you ready for his second coming? Are you preparing yourself for that final day? Amen.